This episode of the Bicycle Touring Pro Adventure Podcast is brought to you by GoBicycleTouring.com. With more than 700 guided and self-guided bicycle tours available in hundreds of different countries all around the world, Go Bicycle Touring is the ultimate resource for discovering your next cycling holiday. Book your dream bike tour today at GoBicycleTouring.com. Alistair Humphreys, I know you've cycled around the world, paddled a boat across the Atlantic Ocean, walked across India. With all the crazy things that you've done over the years, have you ever been arrested? Uh, Not in the UK. Hello, and welcome to the Bicycle Touring Pro Adventure Podcast with your host, Darren Alf. Welcome to the Bicycle Touring Pro Adventure Podcast. I'm Darren Alf. The Bicycle Touring Pro Adventure Podcast is where the world's most interesting and experienced hikers, bikers, campers, and adventurers of all sorts come together to share their stories and teach you how to live an exciting and adventurous life. We've created this show to assist, inspire, and motivate you to get outside, see the world, meet new people, make new friends, and live a life of true adventure. In today's show, I'll be talking with British adventurer, author, and motivational speaker, Alistair Humphreys. In the bicycle touring world, Alistair is best known for his four-year-long bike trip around the world which resulted in two incredible books about his journey. Since cycling around the world, Alistair has walked across southern India, rode a boat across the Atlantic Ocean, run six marathons across the Sahara Desert, raised thousands of dollars for charitable causes, was named as one of National Geographic's Adventurers of the Year in 2012, and speaks to audiences all around the world about the lessons he's learned from his travels in more than 80 different countries. Alistair Humphreys is the author of more than half a dozen books, including his most recent hit, Micro Adventures, in which he spreads the message that adventure is everywhere, every day, and it's up to us to find it. With so many possible subjects to discuss with Alistair in today's show, I've decided to focus my questions for this interview on his time cycling across Siberia, which he did as part of his four-year-long bike tour around the world. I want to talk to you about your your big winter adventure, uh, which happened quite a, a while ago, I guess, but your bike ride across Siberia um, that you detail in your book, and how, how, how hard was that? I mean, how, how long were you out there? Can you talk a little bit, uh, summarize that, that trip? Uh, sure. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I think the fact that I, I cycled through Siberia in the wintertime, and as you say, it was quite a few years ago now, but... The fact that I remember it so clearly and vividly, I think, is a good demonstration um, not only of the misery of of winter adventures, potentially, but also of how rewarding the memories are once once you've succeeded at it. Um, I spent three months cycling through Siberia um, as part of my round-the-world bike ride. In the dead of winter, right? In the dead of winter, yeah. Yeah, I I thought if I was going to go to Siberia, it made sense to to do it properly. You, know, you don't want to go to Siberia and people say, what was it like? And you say, oh, it was nice and warm. You want to go there and experience it properly. Um, with all these, the intensity of the cold and, the, and learning about the gulags and just the real intensity of experience there. Um, the temperatures were down to minus 40 um, Celsius and Fahrenheit. They're the same. So it's minus 40. 
um, Celsius minus 40 Fahrenheit, which is pretty cold. Um, so you need the equipment side, it's pretty difficult. Um, the safety side is pretty crucial. Um, but most of all is the, the mental side of it, of being massively out of your comfort zone, somewhere that's potentially very, very dangerous if you make mistakes, but also somewhere that's really beautiful. And if you succeeded at it, then you feel very, very proud and very alive. And we've talked, uh, we've mentioned the mental aspects already a couple times, but w- what does it take mentally to cycle in negative 40? Oh, the mental side was very hard. Um, that's, by this point, I'd been cycling around the world for for over three years. So I was used to all the difficulties of long-distance cycling. But in Siberia, I was still very close to giving up. Just the Normally, when you're cycling, you look forward to having a rest. Because when you rest, you can... Well, it's nice to rest. But at minus 40, the resting was the horrible part. You get bitterly cold. Um, if the, I was doing it with a friend, and if he was slower than me and I had to wait for him, I'd get dangerously cold, and that was very horrible. Um, if he was ahead of me and I was having to go faster than I wanted to catch him up, then I'd start to sweat, which becomes dangerous and worrying. So it's just this constant stress. Um, if you imagine your freezer at home, um, if you've got those, the big freezers that you keep your food in, where we were was much, much colder than that. So if you just try imagine living inside a freezer for three months, and the difficulties of everything you do, whether going to the going to the toilet, uh, brushing the teeth, fixing a puncture, all these things just become hugely difficult and stressful and painful things. And, and there's no escape at all. So it just grinds and grinds and grinds at you. Um, and mentally, it was a, a pretty brutal experience. And how were you keeping warm in those types of temperatures? You, you said the equipment that you were carrying is quite hefty. I mean, what, what were you carrying? Um I think that there's a difference between the ideal stuff and then what you happen to have. When I had very little money on this trip, so it certainly wasn't the kind of equipment that, for example, I took to Greenland last year on a sponsored expedition, which was all lovely high-tech gear. So in Siberia, it was a bit more basic, but it was still good stuff, and that's really important when it gets that cold. So I'd be wearing um, a couple of layers of thermal underwear um, and some... um, trousers and then uh, windproof trousers and on my top a couple of fleeces and a, a windproof top um, I wear a balaclava all the time a merino wool balaclava and then about two other woolly hats and, and hats are very good for when you cycle you start to get hot so you have to take a hat off and cool yourself down a bit when you cool down you put it back on and it's all about temperature regulation because if you start to sweat um, when you warm up then that sweat will later cause a big problem you don't want to sweat on you when it cools at minus 40. Um, I wore on my hands, I wore thin gloves, then some uh, thicker gloves, and then a pair of mittens over the top. And on my handlebars, I had what are called pogies, which are essentially like mini sleeping bags that your hands go in. And they were they were vital. Um, the hands and feet are the worst things for suffering on a bicycle in cold weather. And then for camping, I had a tent, and um, I think I had three of those uh, sleeping mats that you lie on, and I had uh, uh, two sleeping bags. I, You could have one enormous sleeping bag, but if you can't afford a specialised four-season one, then I had uh, two more, more average ones, um, and it was still pretty miserable. Waking up in the morning and having to get out of the sleeping bag for three months was horrible. When you move and all the ice falls off the roof of the tent onto you, oh dear, they, those were horrible days. 
and I remember them very fondly now. <laughs> and what about food and water out there? I mean, were you having to melt water, or and where was the food coming yes. from? Yeah, so the, the most important thing, whatever the temperature is, water, and um, it was because there was snow everywhere, we didn't need to carry lots of water, which, as you know, is very heavy to carry. So it was good to not have to carry a lot, but you have to turn the snow into water, so you have to melt it, which involves in the evenings when all you want to be doing is sleeping, just uh, heating, melting snow in your stove and then filling up um, thermos flasks. Um, for the daytime drinking, so we had thermos flasks of hot water, um, and then we also wore a, a camelback, which carried two litres of water, and we put that right next to our skin, which stopped it freezing solid, which worked fantastically. The only problem was when it was empty uh, in the night, you then had to take off all your clothes in order to get, get it to fill it up again, which is a horrible thing. Um, Food-wise, um, on cycle journeys in particular, you tend to just have to eat whatever food you can find in the places. So we weren't eating proper expedition food as I was in Greenland. In Russia, it was just Chinese noodles, <laughs> um, staple of cycle tourists around the world, Chinese noodles, biscuits, strange Soviet Union sausage things, and best of all, for the extreme cold, just lumps of fat, lumps of pig fat, studded with garlic, with garlic shoved into the fat, which sounds disgusting now, but at minus 40, your body just craves fat like that for the energy it gives you. Um, so we, we ate that as well. Do you, th do you think cycling across Siberia is one of the most difficult things that you've done, or are there more difficult things you've done since? I think cycling across Siberia was the most difficult part of cycling around the world and is probably one of the most difficult things that I've ever done. Um, rowing the Atlantic, I think, pushes that close for um, being a really difficult and miserable experience. Hmm. And we're getting close to winter now. I mean, we're moving into that cold season. How do summer and winter adventures differ or do they at all for you? I think they do differ quite a lot, to be honest. And um, the reality is that sleeping outdoors in a lovely sunny evening is so much easier than, than doing it in wintertime. So in wintertime, you do need decent equipment. You need a bit of an idea of what you're doing. And you need to, you need to quite a different mindset as well to, to see the cold and the darkness as being part of the challenge and part of the raw, wild beauty of of nature um, rather than just as a miserable thing. So I do think winter adventures are more difficult and, and have the potential to be more miserable um, and character forming. But I don't think that uh, you should just do no adventures until summertime. So it's definitely worth trying something in the winter. Mm. Well, I've heard you mention like so many times that you're just a normal person, you know, and that, <laughs> and that a lot of people could do the things that you do. Uh, do you think that's actually true? I mean, do you think that other people are physically and mentally capable of doing these kinds of things? Definitely. Uh, definitely physically capable. I'm really not an athlete. I'm not a super strong man at all. So physically, almost anyone could do the things I've done. Absolutely anyone. Uh, mentally, I think is more difficult. And I think I am quite uh, determined and stubborn and willing to grip through the difficult times. So I think my, if I have any strengths, it's my mental strengths. Uh, but I don't think I'm any sort of Superman 
on that. I think it's uh, it's uh, and I, I've said this so often, so I'm going to say it once more just for you, Dan. I honestly think anyone could do the trips that I've done, and you know that as well as I could, that anyone can go off and do epic bike journeys. You've just got to have the nerve to begin, and then you realize that it's not such a big deal and that, and that it's wonderful. Right. Yeah, I mean, I, I would put myself in the same category in that I, I don't think of myself as an athlete or anything in any in any way. I don't even consider myself a cyclist, even though that's probably what I'm known for. I'm the same. I, I, I always I always say that I'm not a cyclist, and people usually laugh at that. They think I'm joking, but it's it's true. A bicycle for me is a means of doing other things. It's traveling and seeing new places and getting new experiences and, and challenging myself. And I could you could do that in lots of ways, but a bicycle just so happens to be not only the cheapest and the simplest way of doing it, but also the best way of, of doing it, I think. All right, it's time for the micro-question speed round. Are you ready? Okay. <laughs> As a child, what did you want to be when you grew up? A soccer player. A soccer player. What do you consider your greatest achievement? Um... The, the micro-adventures and encouraging people who've never slept on a hill to go and do it for the first time. Hmm. I'm proud of that. That's cool. Name three exotic countries that you haven't been to yet that you would like to visit. Liberia, Venezuela, Cambodia. What is the most embarrassing thing to have ever happened to you? most embarrassing thing that's ever happened to you which i'm going to repeat on air <laughs> might be um getting arrested was nearly arrested in japan for cycling naked through a town which the police didn't find as funny as i did oh my goodness that's cool <laughs> um if you could go on a micro adventure with any person dead or alive who would you choose to go with and where would you go i would go with ernest hemingway um, somewhere in Alaska. And last question, uh, what's the one thing that you'd like to be remembered for? Oh, gosh. Well, hope one day I'd like to write a great novel, but mostly, I suppose, is to be a good friend and family man. That's the big aspiration. Hmm. Thanks for listening to the Bicycle Touring Pro Adventure Podcast. If you'd like to learn how to conduct your own incredible bicycle touring adventures, travel the world, and create experiences you'll remember for the rest of your life, be sure to visit the website at bicycletouringpro.com for the world's largest collection of information, tools, and resources you can use to live a life of true adventure. I'm Darren Alf. This has been the Bicycle Train Pro Adventure Podcast, and thanks again to our guest this week, Alistair Humphreys. My attitude to my adventures and journeys is, is changing, and I suppose there's a couple of reasons for that. One, I suppose, is inevitably I'm just getting older. Um, it's, uh, I've been doing cycling expeditions for, for about 17 years now, so... The, the, mo the things that appeal to that will just change over time anyway. Um, and I'm less interested now in pushing myself really, really hard because I know I can do that. I've done that a lot. And I think what interests me more and more now is the, the storytelling side of 
of what I do. Um, I've, I've been to lots of countries, I've spent lots of time staying in family homes with strange tribes, people, and all, all these wonderful things of travel. Um, but I've done quite a lot of that now. So what appeals to me now is telling the stories and sharing my experiences and, and trying to encourage people who haven't yet done adventures to, to go and give it a go. So more and more that's what uh, motivates me to keep going.